Good morning, everybody. Uh, So as someone in the uh, Gen X generation, right on the bleeding edge of it, uh, there are a couple of things that I appreciate. Number one is Will's drumming back here. That dude was on it. That was awesome, man. I loved it. Um, I want that guy to drum the soundtrack to my like running pace. I look down, I'm like, why is my heart rate 105? I'm ready to go work out. Let's go. Um, But I also, as someone in that Gen X generation, I love the idea of Jesus being a rebel. That just makes me love him even more. And yeah, there's the whole God in flesh, died for my sin, raised to life to bring me back to life. That is awesome and that is good. But the fact that Jesus was constantly pushing against authority in his day, Jesus was always pushing against the, the, the religious, the political systems of his day. And I'm like, I want to follow a guy like that. And actually, the first time I, I noticed Jesus being this kind of rebel in his day uh, is in the text that we're looking at this morning. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, uh, turn with me to John chapter 5. That's going to be where we find our text this morning, John chapter 5. Are you familiar with the term compassion fatigue? Compassion fatigue is this physical and mental exhaustion that leads to emotional withdrawal. And it's oftentimes experienced by those who, who find themselves caring for the needs of others quite a bit. And it could be because of personally, just where you are, maybe you have aging parents that you're caring for, and there is a compassion fatigue that is starting to set in. You find yourself withdrawing from others around you you, you just feel like you, there's, there's nothing else that you can carry. And so you just separate, maybe even push them away. Uh, maybe you've experienced that with, uh, with children. There's a compassion fatigue. It, it, it's usually experienced with those uh, who, who work in professions that care for others, nurses, social workers, teachers, EMTs, law enforcement, and things like that. Compassion fatigue typically happens because of a prolonged exposure to other people's trauma. And I kind of think that we live in a time where all of us have had this long exposure to other people's trauma, haven't we? I mean, we we are surrounded by it. We are more aware than ever of what others are going through, not just in our own community, but across the world. Globalization has made it to where we can find out in real time the pain and the suffering of of others, and we wear that. And so while most of us are dealing with kind of our own stuff, our own family, our own friends, we're also just inundated with news from the world around us of how people are experiencing trauma and pain. And I think to a certain extent, many of us have experienced a degree of compassion fatigue. Let me share some symptoms and see if any of them sound familiar to you. People with compassion fatigue are often irritable and easily angered. They develop a sense of hopelessness, like there's nothing that can be done, that that a situation is never going to change. This is just the way that it is always going to, to be. They feel anxious and overwhelmed. There's a simmering sense of guilt that they are not or cannot do more There's guilt about the way that maybe they start seeing or treating the the needs of the people around them. 
They, they actually begin, what once used to break their heart about that person or about this group of people now makes them feel frustrated. Some people suffering com- compassion fatigue will move away from the needs of others because it just feels like too much to bear. Have you been there? Like, does that feel familiar? Maybe you're there right now. One of the things that always amazed me about Jesus is that we never see him reach this place of compassion fatigue. Jesus, and this is another sermon for another day, but Jesus did the soul care rhythms that he needed to be able to care for the needs of others. I mean, he, he separated uh, in, in appropriate ways. He got away to, to care for himself, to build his relationship with his father. Um, he was with his friends. He found, you know, his value and, and, and his worth and, and, and not in what he gave to others, but in what he received from the father. And, and all of those things are important. That kept Jesus kind of centered and and balanced to be able to care for the needs of others. But what we find in the life of Christ is that when Jesus encountered the pain of others, he moved towards them, not away. There were times when he got tired and there were times when he had to withdraw from the crowd for his own soul care, but he never lost his ability to care for the needs of others. He never lost sight of God's image firmly planted in them. And what we see in the gospels, these four accounts of Jesus' life and ministry is that Jesus moves towards those in the margins that everyone else was moving away from. He cared for the needs of others. And it's what we find him do in our text today. John chapter five, starting in verse one. It says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One of them who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And so Jesus is with his disciples and they are in Jerusalem and and, and they go to this place known as Bethesda. And Bethesda is kind of a mashup word of these two Hebrew words, uh, bayeth, which means house, and hesed, which means God's loving kindness. And so Bethsaida was the, the house of God's loving kindness. And in Bethesda, there was this large pool of water. And it was, it was really quite large. I got to, to visit it last spring. And it, it um, you know, I'd always kind of, when I read this account, pictured like this little kiddie pool, you know, like a, a little, little pool that, that people would go into. Uh, but it was massive. It was like the size of a football field. Uh, it was as deep as 20 feet in, in some places. And it was surrounded by these large colonnades uh, and, and these patios. So you can see some of them in, in the pictures there. And so this would have been a large structure. And the people hanging out at the pool of Bethesda, this pool in the house of God's loving kindness, they weren't there soaking in the sun and working on their tan. And people hung around this pool because of a belief that its waters had some kind of healing power or healing properties in them. And that's why John says in verse 3 that there was a great number of disabled people that that hung around in that place, the blind, the the lame, the paralyzed. The pool probably resembled like these healing shrines that were kind of scattered all throughout the ancient Near East. 
And they believed that there was some kind of magic in the water. And that every time the waters would stir, there was something um, either manufactured or natural that would cause the waters to kind of stir or, or bubble up. They believed that every time that happened, the, the magic was surfacing to the, to the edge of the water and you just had to go and, and take a dip in that water. And, and if you do, you might experience God's loving kindness. You might experience healing from whatever it is that you are, are struggling with. And so friends or family would just kind of bring sick and lame people that uh, they could no longer take care of. They would just kind of take them to this pool of Bethesda and they would drop them off sometimes for the day, sometimes forever. They would just go about their lives. And and verse 5 probably describes how society viewed the people laying by the pool of Bethesda. The NIV uses the word invalid. In my Bible, um, there's a column break, and so that word is hyphenated, and so it reads invalid. I think that was oftentimes how society viewed the people that hung out at the pool of Bethesda. There was a sense of compassion fatigue towards them. They were viewed as an invalid part of society. And in the crowd that day of people that everyone else is moving away from, in the crowd that day, we find a man who has been paralyzed for 38 years. Most people in his life had long experienced compassion fatigue. They'd given up on him. After that amount of time, he'd probably given up on himself. But then we see Jesus do what Jesus does. He moved towards the one that others were moving away from. I love how this scene is depicted in The Chosen, so let's take a look at it.
I love that. For 38 years, yeah, man. What a beautiful, beautiful depiction of the truth of this story. For 38 years, this man had been in pain. And, and yes, physical pain, but imagine the emotional pain of feeling isolated, of feeling rejected, of being alone the pain of cruelty and neglect, the pain of being looked over and stepped on for his life. For 38 years, no one was willing to step into his pain with him. No one was willing to have compassion for him. It had all run out, but then Jesus moves towards him. Jesus sees him and cares. And I don't want to rush past this because it is amazing that Jesus was even in this place to begin with. The the temple is just a stone's throw away from the pool of Bethesda. And, And Jesus had already kind of been hinting towards this fact that he was the Messiah. And so if he wanted to be around important religious people, that's the place that he would have been. But instead, he chose to go to the people that everyone else had moved away from. He had chose to go and hang out with a bunch of in valets in the eyes of society. One commentary put it like this, when Christ came to Jerusalem, he didn't visit the palaces, he visited the hospitals. Jesus moved and went to where hurting people were, where people who were desperate, people who were broken and in pain, Jesus moved towards them. He moved towards the ones in the margin, those in the places of pain, and suffering, and trauma. And we celebrate that today, but not everyone celebrated it on that day. I mean, we even saw in the, in the clip uh, some of the glances from the Pharisees who were, who were standing over there kind of watching what was happening. And this is, this is what is, is depicted as what happens next. And so Jesus says, get up, take your mat, and, and, and go. And then in verse 9, it says that the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. You think they missed the point here? In their interpretation of keeping the Sabbath day holy, uh, somewhere along the way, they had decided that carrying anything was considered a, a, a job, was considered work that you were supposed to be resting from on the Sabbath. And here is this guy that they had labeled and written off as an invalid, as disabled for 38 years. And now he's up and he's walking around and they're like, hey, buddy, it's Sabbath. You're not supposed to be doing that. And this is where I think we see the rebellious side of Jesus come in. And this man had been there for, I mean, he's been in this condition for 38 years. Who knows how long he'd been hanging out by this pool hoping to get well. Jesus knew where to find him. He could have come back later after the sun had set and Sabbath was over. He could have come back the next day, the day after that. He would have found the man probably in that exact same spot. He could have healed him at any time. But I think that Jesus chose to heal him on this day, not to avoid controversy, but to step into the controversy. And in doing so, he is revealing the lack of compassion that these religious leaders had. They had turned the house of God's loving kindness into a place of their judgment. And I imagine that even the blind who were there could see their hypocrisy. And the question that the disciples were left with is the question that that I want to leave us to wrestle with today because, because I've been wrestling with it myself over the past week. When you encounter the suffering of others, 
Do you move towards them or do you move away? When you encounter the suffering of others, do you move towards them or do you move away? Do you step in and do something or, or do you stand back at a distance casting judgment on why they're there, why they're in that position, what they should be doing? Do you move into the margins or do you stay safely at the sidelines? And while you think about that, I've had the opportunity to think about it for the last several days and and what I've come to conclusion in my own life is more often than not, I move away from those that Jesus would move to. I move away. I can't imagine how many opportunities I have missed because I didn't have the compassion in the moment to move in the right direction. And what we see in this account in John 5 is that there is something beautiful that happens when we move towards those that are in the margins the way that Jesus moved towards us. That's why as a church we want to come alongside of at-risk people. Scott mentioned it, but our vision as a church is to unleash the church with the love of Jesus to go out and make an eternal difference in the lives of at-risk people, an eternal difference. And sometimes the way that we're able to make an eternal difference is if we make an immediate difference. If we come alongside and we care for the needs that they are currently feeling, it earns us the right to be able to talk about their need for Jesus. And one of the ways that we define at-risk people are those who are physically at risk. And we say we will cross every socioeconomic divide to care for people and work for their good because we believe that, that each person is made in the image of God and so they have dignity and value and worth in the Lord. And we will not stand in judgment of them why they're there, why they continue to be there, what has happened in their life that led them to this place. We are gonna enter into their pain with them to point them to the hope of Christ. And there are so many ways that we're already living out this vision. Our our global mission partners around the world are leading the way in caring for uh, people who are physically at risk. They provide food and water and medical resources to those who are in need. They provide job training and skills. And I I love that every $1 out of every $10 that you give to Sherwood Oaks goes somewhere around the world to care for people spiritually and physically who are at risk. And it is adding up to make a huge impact in the kingdom. Brad talks often about the the numbers of of baptisms and conversions and people following Jesus now through our mission partners. And it is astounding how many thousands of people coming to know the love of Jesus and follow him because of the way that our mission partners and the way that your dollars are going towards coming alongside of others who are in need, caring for them physically so that we can earn the right to care for them spiritually. Our dollar club ministry is another way that we are caring for the physically at risk. Every $1 bill that is given to Sherwood Oaks is pooled together to help a family uh, or an individual in our community with a hand up. And since we've been doing the Dollar Club over the last three years, we have dispersed well over $150,000 to serve families across our community who are in need. Those are those $1 bills that you give that are pooled together to make a big difference. 
Our international student ministry, you know, we talk about um, furniture giveaway quite a bit, but there's, there's follow-up that happens uh, in ways that we come alongside and care for them. One of my favorite questions to ask when I'm, when I'm sitting at a table with students who sometimes literally just arrived in the U.S. Uh, at, at furniture giveaway, I like to ask them, so um, what, what's the coldest weather that you've ever been in? And sometimes, you know, I'll get students that are like, oh, one time? it got to 65 degrees where I'm from, and it was so cold. It was so cold. And I was like, oh, oh, just wait. <laughs> you have no idea what you're about ready to experience. And so um, when I see the look of terror come over their face, I'm like, oh, but put this date on your calendar. Because every year, we take international students to go and, and buy winter clothes and gloves and hats and things that they've never had to buy before. And sometimes we come along and even help them financially to be able to do that. That event happened yesterday, just in the nick of time. And so as a church, we come alongside and we help others in that way. Sunday school class for individuals with special needs. We partner with community organizations like New Hope who help unhoused families get back on their feet. Wheeler Mission doing great, great work in our communities. Habitat for Humanity, and we do it with no strings attached, just a desire that hopefully through our love, people will encounter the love of Jesus and it'll make an eternal difference in their lives. In John 5, Jesus made the the place, the house of God's kindness, not because there was healing power in the waters, but because because he showed up there. And with the spirit of Christ living in us, with us being the body of Christ, his hands and feet, that means that wherever we go to serve others, we bring the house of God's loving kindness to that place. And so we want to move towards those that Jesus moved towards. We want to shine his light. We want to help people experience God's loving kindness in their life too. If you're looking for ways to move towards the people that Jesus did, I want to encourage you to go to our website, socc.org locally. You'll find a little link right there. Or you can just scan the QR code. Every month we put out a serving guide just of ways that our community partners have some needs and ways that you or your family or your um, group can step in and, and serve somewhere. Uh, we also have some of those printed out in the lobby and you can pick one of, of those up. If you struggle with this, like, like sometimes I do. What I've been praying for this week is the ability just to see God or see people the way that God sees them. I've been wanting to challenge maybe some of my own assumptions and and one of the best ways in my life that I have found to do that is just by, by building a relationship with people, learning their stories, and then move towards them in the way that Jesus moved towards you. I'll close with this. Jesus gives us a model to follow in John 5, but I think that he gives us hope when we find ourselves in the margins, when we find ourselves isolated and alone. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if that's true, that means that Jesus continues to move towards people who are hurting, people who feel broken, people who feel alone, If you're here today and you are suffering in some way, please know that Jesus loves you. He knows you. He sees you. He is still moving towards those who are hurting and he wants to move towards you. And if there is anything as a church that we can do to come alongside of you 
to give you encouragement, to give you support, and let us know so that you do not have to walk alone. I'm going to pray, and then Scott's going to come up and uh, transition us to our response time. Jesus, thank you for the way that you move towards us, not just by taking on flesh and becoming one of us, but in the way that you move towards those who are hurting and broken in your day, the ones that everyone else have written off or judged or looked over. Lord, those were the ones that you came to seek and to save. Lost people like me, like us. And so, Lord, may we take that example that you set for us, that you have demonstrated even in our own life. May we take the grace that we have received and allow that to to push us outside the walls of our church, push us outside the walls of our homes to go and to minister and to serve, to bring the hope of the gospel, your loving kindness wherever we go, especially to those who feel marginalized. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can watch all of our video content, both current and past, on our YouTube channel? Visit youtube.com slash Sherwood Oaks to watch messages, series, and complete worship services.